in the Bible, how many churches are there? When you look in the book of Acts, when you open up your Bible and you go to the New Testament, you see the four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then you um, see the book of Acts, and you see how many churches? One. There's only one church. But then you have to ask yourself, well, how come there's like 20,000 different denominations today around the world? That's a little bit strange that there was one church in the beginning and now there's 20,000 different kinds of denominations. And within those are all kinds of different churches. Well, Life of Purpose is actually non-denominational. And mainly the reason for that is because we want to focus on the one church. We want to focus on unity in the body of Christ. In fact, we strive for unity in the body of Christ like we're supposed to. Um, But we partner. We partner with all different churches and brothers and sisters in Christ, different denominations, because we believe that we can come together and build the kingdom of God on earth. In fact, we have Baptist brothers and sisters in Christ. We have Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ. We have Lutherans and Pentecostal and Presbyterian and Orthodox, and we we come together because we believe that there are certain core teachings, doctrines is the word, kind of the fancy word, that that we have in common, and we can center ourselves on those, and we can work together to advance the kingdom and to share the love of God with other people. But there are going to be times where we're not going to agree on certain doctrines. Um, we're going to have some differences. And I want to share with you and talk with you a little bit about um, one of those particular teachings, and it happens to be on what we sang about today, and that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit um, is often uh, taught differently depending on what church you're in. And in Acts chapter 2, we've been here now for a few weeks, we're kind of looking at that, and I wanted to take the time so we understand what Acts chapter 2 is saying about the Holy Spirit. In fact, what is the Bible saying about the Holy Spirit? Two weeks ago, I preached a message called The Role of the Holy Spirit. And this one is called Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's a question that you probably have asked yourself if you've been reading the Bible before. If you've picked up your Bible, opened it up and read it, you might come across this question. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just curious, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever asked yourself that question? How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, that's good. If you ask 10 different pastors of 10 different churches, I'll bet you my favorite fishing pole that you'll get 10 different answers. You will. You'll get all kinds of different answers because... There's differing beliefs on who is the Holy Spirit and what he does in the world today. But I'm going to answer the question, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit, by giving you a little history lesson of some of the teachings that are out there. You okay okay with that? I'm really a math, former math teacher, not a history teacher, but I'm going to do my best. Um, I think you'll actually find it interesting how new the teachings are on the Holy Spirit. You may have heard of the Pentecostal denomination. The Pentecostal denomination, um, you may think or may wonder, maybe never wondered, how old is that? Like, is it centuries old? 
And the truth is, it's only about 100 years old. It's relatively new. It started here in America, in fact. Um, there was some events that led up to a big revival in Los Angeles called the Azusa Street Revival. And that took place in 1906. And what happened was similar to what happened in Acts chapter 2. When you open up your Bible and look at Acts chapter 2, you see that the Holy Spirit came at a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And at Pentecost, obviously that's where the name Pentecostal comes from, and that denomination began with some small revivals, Azusa Street, and then it grew. And globally now, according to Greg Allison, the Pentecostals have over 600 million adherents, which is about a quarter of the two billion Christians on the planet. And from the Pentecostal denomination, you have churches like our friends over here, our neighbors, Assembly of God churches, you have the um, Foursquare Church. You have the Church of God. Those all came from the first big Pentecostal or the, the movement of Pentecostal movement, which took place in, uh, about 100 years ago. And uh, they certainly have distinct teachings on the Holy Spirit. Just curious how many of you have been in a Pentecostal church before. Okay, so a quarter of you. Good representation. <laughs> the... Second movement, if you will, uh, the second wave, as, as it's sometimes referred to, of, of the Holy Spirit, uh, a revival uh, in, in America, took place in the 60s and 70s called the Charismatic Movement, after charismata, which is the word for the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, I've heard it referred to as the Jesus Movement. And some of you got saved. Some of you were saved in the 60s and 70s during the Jesus Movement, the the charismatic movement. Now that, they don't actually have, there is no such thing as the charismatic denomination. It's just churches were um, affected by all of these people in the 60s and 70s and it actually spread into the mainline churches like the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglican churches. And that was the second wave. The third wave happened in the 80s. In the 80s, you had, it supposedly began with a church called the Vineyard Church. And it began and, and it spread in, in such a way that many people experienced supernatural signs and wonders. And that was the third wave, as they coined it. So in relatively a short period of time in relation to the fact that Christianity began 2,000 years ago, you have in just the last 100 years the Pentecostal movement, the Charismatic movement, and the third wave in the, in the 80s. Now, because of these churches, these movements, if you will, the Holy Spirit is, is being taught, the, the teachings on the Holy Spirit um, have spread and, and uh, certainly affected all of us, uh, depending on what you grew up in. But some churches, just give you kind of an example, so you understand what I'm saying here, and maybe you can, it'll rela you'll relate to it. Some churches teach that the gifts of healing, prophecy, speaking in tongues have ceased. When the prophets, the apostles, when they died, then they, those gifts have ceased, stopped. Others teach that they continue. So that's one difference that you have in the teachings. Some churches teach that there are two baptisms, despite Ephesians 4, 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. But there's two baptisms. There's your water baptism, and then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they teach them as two separate events. Some churches 
elevate new prophets and new apostles in their churches. And sadly, their word supersedes God's word in the Bible. Some teach that if you don't have an emotional experience with signs and wonders present, then you didn't really experience the Holy Spirit. So some of these, you can see, bring concerns for, for us as Christians because you might have a family member, you might have a friend, you might have a neighbor that believes some of these things about the Holy Spirit and they might not be true. In fact, you probably know somebody that might fall into one of these two notable, and I would call them heretical groups, heretics, the prosperity gospel movement claims that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, successful here on earth. And then there's the so-called word of faith movement that emphasizes that words spoken in faith can create the reality that they address. You just have to speak it in faith. So depending on your background, on what you've learned, what churches you've gone to, it's possible your understanding of the Holy Spirit, what you've learned about the Holy Spirit, could be flawed, could be not correct. And so that's why I'm taking the time and encouraging you to be like the Bereans, those people that the Apostle Paul came and preached to in Berea, and they examined the Scriptures carefully to make sure what Paul was saying about Jesus was true. And so I encourage you to do that. I welcome anybody to challenge what I say and preach because I want to do what is right and teach what is right. One of the great expository preachers, been doing it for over 40 years, I think, is John Piper. John Piper is an excellent Bible teacher verse by verse. And I liked when I read one of his uh, messages on filling of the Holy Spirit. He talked about the fact that Yeah, we have some concerns with what's being taught in some churches. But he pointed out that we should desire this experience that comes with the Holy Spirit in your life. We should desire the experience. When you read the Bible and you encounter the Holy Spirit, it is an overwhelming experience. And I agree with that. I agree. I think we should seek the experience in a healthy way. Because when I read the book of Acts, the whole book, and not just pluck little verses out to back up what I want to believe about the Holy Spirit, which is what usually, unfortunately, what churches or groups will do, is they take a verse and they make it apply to what they want it to apply. The Bible is not a buffet. You don't get to pick and choose what you want to believe. You have to take it all. And so when I look at the whole book of Acts, what I see there is the Holy Spirit is at work in the church. I see people experiencing overwhelming presence of God, and I see them being filled with the Spirit, empowered to do God's will. Let me give you a quick rundown. Right away in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You're empowered to share your faith. In Acts 2, Peter preached an amazing sermon because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 3, him and John healed a man in the name of Jesus. In Acts 4, the church prayed together, kind of like in a gathering like this, they prayed 
for boldness to share their faith more, and the whole place shook like an earthquake, and they boldly went out, filled with the Holy Spirit, and shared the truth, the gospel. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, and they experienced what? Death on the spot. Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans, the half-Jews, received the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, Cornelius, a non-Jew, a Gentile, received the Holy Spirit. You see what Jesus said in Acts 1.8? You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That's what Acts is all about. It's about the gospel going to the ends of the earth and people experiencing God's presence in their life and being empowered to do his will in this world. That's, to me, what I see in the book of Acts. People filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are people that can testify today, if you've had a Holy Spirit experience, you know the Holy Spirit doesn't underwhelm you. It overwhelms you. It's a powerful, personal experience. In fact, this is how I would define it, carefully choosing my words as I mold this over and thought this over. I believe it's a supernatural experience in which you are immersed in God's presence and empowered to do, his God, to do God's will. I believe that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural experience where you're immersed in God's presence and you're empowered to do His will. And every Christian should desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every Christian should want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible has tons of examples of people experiencing the Holy Spirit, and it wasn't natural. That's why I say it's supernatural. God made it happen. He overwhelmed them. He filled them. He immersed them in his presence. He empowered them to do what only God can do. Now, they did it, but God did it through them, and they were blessed to be a part of God's will. Think about Samson, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit rushed upon him, and he defeated the enemy, a thousand men, because God's presence was with him. Think about Jonah, who didn't want to offer forgiveness to his enemy. So he ran from God, but God brought him back. You can't outrun God, by the way, just keep that in mind. And God empowered him to offer forgiveness to his enemy. Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, the same people that crucified Jesus, the same people told Peter and John, you need to shut your mouth and stop telling everybody about Jesus. Stop telling everybody that he's been resurrected and that if they believe in him, they'll go to heaven. Stop saying that. And they simply said, we can't obey you. We must obey God. They did that because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a personal experience. It was a supernatural experience. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Supernatural experience. Immersed in God's presence. Empowered to do his will. And... You should desire it. And you should desire it continually. Because if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us exactly what happens if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It says that you are quenching the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a fire, as we talked about, we sang about, set a fire. If the Holy Spirit is a, a, a and you quench the fire, you're, you're extinguishing the fire, you're putting the fire out in you. No, you don't want to do that, do you? You want to fuel it. You want to fuel the fire. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You want to make him happy. I think you do. If you do, raise your hand so I know I'm preaching to the choir. 
All right. Yeah, we want that in our life. So how do we get it? How do we get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you want me to tell you that, don't you? Okay, okay. I'll tell you. Acts chapter 2 from the Bible. The Bible will tell you. Acts 2, verse 37, 38, and 39. Some verses we're going to go through quickly here, and then you can see. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? It doesn't just happen, you know, automatically because for whatever reason. It happens, I think, intentionally. This is what happened. Acts 2, 37. Peter preached an amazing sermon. They heard it. They heard this truth about Jesus. And they were cut to the heart. You know, I've shared the gospel with many people. I've shared the truth about Jesus with lots of people. I taught public high school for 16 years, and I share the gospel with many teachers. Many. And sometimes the response I got was, eh, I'm happy for you, but I'm doing my own thing. But some people were cut to the heart. Some people wanted to know more. And that's what happened here. They wanted to know more. They were cut to the heart. And Peter said, with the other apostles, or uh, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we do? We feel the conviction, as Brian shared in his testimony. We, we are convicted of our sin. What do we do? And Peter said in verse 38, you repent. That means do a 180. You turn away from your sin. And you walk towards God. We like to think we're walking with God naturally. Let me tell you something. In your natural self, you're not walking with God. You're rebelling against God. That's called a sinful nature that we were born with thanks to Adam and Eve. It goes all the way back to the beginning. So you're not born and naturally... Ask the two-year-olds, all right, do you have to convince them to say no, to do the wrong thing? No. They're precious, I know. They're lovely. But they rebel. <laughs> That's why they call it the terrible twos. So we naturally rebel against God. It's our sinful nature. And we must repent of that. We must turn away from that and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says it's the promise, not just for you, but for your children and everyone who will come after, and I get this part, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So it brings me to my first point here, is that if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the word is heard. Verse 37, Peter preached the sermon. They heard the word. But there can't just be a preacher. There also has to be a reacher. Not the movie. There must be a preacher and a reacher. Peter was the preacher. And Romans 10, 17 tells us, faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. How do you get faith? You hear the gospel. You hear the truth. And it's like faith is born. And you can believe. So Peter was the preacher. But it's God who is the reacher. God has to do his part. That's why Peter says in verse 39, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God must reach you. He must call you to himself. That's why John writes the words of Jesus in John 6.44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's why it's such a struggle that when you share your faith with someone and they reject it, 
it gets frustrating. But don't blame yourself. Don't give up. Don't stop sharing your faith. Because God has to reach them, call them to himself. Open their eyes. I believe the Holy Spirit's involved in that. So the word is heard. That's the first part. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the word is heard. Then the word is received. Acts 2.41. Those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to them that day 3,000 souls. When you hear the word and then you receive the word, what does it mean to receive God's word? It means that the truth about Jesus becomes self-evident. You don't need a demonstration anymore. It's, it's self-evident. It's, it's, I believe it. I've seen it. I, I, I've, I've shared the story before. I had a student. He didn't believe. He was skeptical. And through our Christian group at the school, he asked a ton of questions. And literally overnight, it was, he was driving his car, and something came over him, overwhelmed him, and all of a sudden it was like a flip of a switch, and he believed. He received the word. It was sell, the truth was there. And I believe the Holy Spirit is the reason why that is. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12.3, Paul writes to this church in Corinth and he says, I want you to understand that you cannot say, it says no one speaking in the Spirit of God will ever say Jesus is accursed. Jesus is a liar. Jesus is a hypocrite. No one will ever say that if they have the Spirit of God in them. But then this is the best part. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit allows you to say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He helps you receive the Word. Thirdly, the Word is obeyed. What's the first step for those Christians at Pentecost? What happened in Acts chapter 2? He said, repent and be baptized. First step. Boom. And you say, well, how is that possible? 3,000, man, that was a long service. <laughs> we got two, you know, and we're going to go over our time usually. We're done in an hour, but today we're going to go a little longer. How did they baptize 3,000? Well, there was already um, places in Jerusalem where they could baptize. And so I believe it was a team effort of the apostles, and they baptized 3,000, probably more um, than that. Um, men and women and children that, that believed. Nobody went home and said, oh, I believe in Jesus. Okay, I'll see you later. Catch you later. Okay, I don't want to be late for dinner. No, they got baptized. 241, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. Jesus said, it's right on our wall back here, go and make disciples. That's the words of Jesus. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So water baptism is an act of obedience. It's a step you take, an important first step. And then right away, the author Luke says, right after verse 41, he says, what did they do after they got baptized? Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayers. They started reading the Bible, or learning the words of God from the the apostles. The Bible, the New Testament wasn't written, but... The apostles were teaching how the Old Testament connected to what Jesus had done. And they had fellowship. They, they, they shared with one another. They helped one another out. And they took communion. That's the breaking of bread. And they prayed together. These are all steps we take. So how are you filled with the Holy Spirit initially? The word is heard. 
The word is received. The word is obeyed. Simple. Hear the word. Receive the word. Obey the word. That's the initial filling. Now, some churches say that there's a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. I believe that when you believe, you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. That's what's happening in your life. You've been baptized. We call it, some say John, uh, John 3 says we're born again. That happens at salvation. And when you have the Holy Spirit now dwelling in you, living in you, now you want to continue to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.13 tells us if we live according to our flesh, we'll die. Unfortunately, we don't get saved and then float up to heaven. We still live here in a very broken world. Am I right? Yeah. So we still live here, but if we live by the flesh, we die. If we give in to our weaknesses, we die. But if by the Spirit we put to death those deeds of the body, we live. And the Holy Spirit is, there's a few analogies. We can fuel the fire or quench the fire. I shared that with you. We can grieve the Holy Spirit or we can make him happy. We can neglect his gifts or we can use his gifts wisely. You can get drunk with wine and alcohol or you can get drunk with the Holy Spirit, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's a choice you have every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, how do you live by the Spirit? I like it. Keep in step with the Spirit. You ever go for a walk with a little one, you know, and their legs are just, you know, little, and they're just kind of, you know, and then they're distracted by everything, and they're all over the place, you know, and it's like, come on, keep up, keep up, right? Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. In the same way that you receive the Holy Spirit initially, same way you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, born again, is the same way you constantly get filled up with the Holy Spirit. You hear the word, you receive the word, you obey the word. You obey the word. Because the word of God is living and active. It's, it's, it gets in your business. It really does. It's God-breathed. The word breath is the word for spirit. The, God, the Bible, the reason why we have the Bible is because men... We're moved by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy comes about by anyone's own interpretation. God moved those men who moved the pen. That's how we have the Bible. This is Holy Spirit, um, God speaking. And when we read the Bible, it teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us for every good work, Paul tells Timothy. We need the Word of God. Let me tell you just a little story as I finish here. When I was a newer Christian, a pastor from a Pentecostal church told me that I should pray and uh, to be baptized by the Holy Spirit and the evidence that, that I was baptized by the Holy Spirit would be I would be able to speak in tongues. I'd be able to speak in a language that, um, that was un, un, you know, that, that, that I wouldn't have been able to understand, but it was some kind of special love language that allowed my spirit to communicate with God's spirit. I guess that's the only way I can explain it. So, he explained it as, as something good, something to get closer to God with. And I thought, well, I want to get closer to God. So I prayed. I asked God, I want to speak in tongues. Give me this gift of speaking in tongues. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Now, does that mean I can't get closer to God? Does that mean, like, there's a barricade and, like, you know, on a, on a film set 
and um, only the actors get to be over there where the movie's going on and all the spectators are behind here. Am I one of those um, spectators that, that I don't get to get that close to, to the action because I can't speak in tongues? Unfortunately, that's kind of what can, it can feel like for some people who can't speak in tongues. But I will tell you that you don't need that to get close to God because I can read my Bible and I can pray, and I can praise God in English, and I feel very close to God. And I think you can do that too. I think any of us can. So I don't believe the Word of God, the Bible, needs to be, as some say, accompanied by the the signs and wonders to overwhelm you with God's presence and to empower you to do His will. I think the Word of God is wonderful just the way it is. And I think when you get in the Word, when you soak in the Word, when you immerse yourself in God's Word, I believe you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe that's the experience that you should seek in a healthy way. Immerse yourself in God's Word. I told um, Gary before the, the service, the Bible studies that we have in this church, the continually coming to study God's Word together and to fellowship it's just going to produce fruit. Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And what, what a wonderful example to the world around us that there's fruit coming from the members of Life of Purpose Church, from His church. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to be about. So seek the experience, because it is an experience by immersing yourself in God's Word. It's a supernatural experience in which you really feel God's presence and you are empowered to do His will. Amen?